From out of the west they rode, a band of hired guns, each with her or his own legend. Doc Stephen Howland, the Gingold Kid Yanis Strepek, Daniel Hurricane Berg, Hot Lead Jeffrey Arbo, and the two-gun Callum McCauley, the five faithful spoilerites. <whistles> Taking and this one goes out to them. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this Issue parental advisory. This episode's utilization of a cowboy motif may result in funny pseudo accents, poor impersonations of John Wayne, possible references to the 1988 Brat Pack opus Young Guns, and aphorisms such as letting a cat out of the bag's easier than putting it back and speak your mind but ride a fast horse and other pseudo homespun claptrack. The Major Spoilers Podcast is riding the range, singing a song about life on the prairie, picking its teeth with a bowie knife, and refusing to stick out its pinky when it's drinking its tea. Waha! Show shows on the air where the Steve and the Rodrigo play, where seldom is heard an intelligible word, and we're still riffing on Loeb's Hulk Gray. Smash! Welcome to issue 444 of the Major, not 444, the issue 440. Four, of the four, major zero. spoilers podcast. Steven's leaping into the future with the future people. Oh, I could tell you what's coming up in issue four, four, four. Rain I could. Actually, two, 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 two. Yeah, probably I do know what's coming up in issue four, 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 but I won't tell you right now because we've got other things word. to get to in this show, including the news. <laughs> so Rob Liefeld left DC and made a public uh, discussion about Shut it up, up on Twitter. Rocketeer may get a reboot over at Disney, and DC announces a new Justice League series. Let's spin that Wheel of Destiny. See where it lands. I have a feeling, because people have been asking me about it, sending me emails. So can you talk about this? Can you talk about this? Can you talk about number one, Rob Liefeld leaving DC Comics? <laughs> so I don't know if this was a, a, a real big surprise, because um, he had said a while ago in one of his Twitter uh, posts I don't remember if it was after Chris Roberson left or if it was after, it was after Grant, Grant, Grant Morrison, Morrison announced yeah. that he was uh, going off to do his own creator own projects after uh, Action Comics, I think, 16 and the other series that he's doing, uh, uh, 13 or 14 or whatever for uh, um, Batman Incorporated. Well, then this past week, Rob Liefeld had said after Morrison left, he said, I'll be right behind you. Uh, this past week, he came out on Twitter and says, hey, just want to let everyone know that I've officially turned in my resignation uh, to DC Comics. I uh, really love fi- the new 52. Really think it was a great initiative. It was a great thing, great experience. Wouldn't have... Traded it for the world. Yeah, basically, that was his... He uh, seemed, uh, you know, uh, for the most part, he was very, very upbeat. Yep. And then he said, <laughs> except for this uh, this editor who I had a problem with, and mm. called him out by his Twitter handle. And then that got everybody... Uh, many creators, I shouldn't say everybody, many creators jumping on his case. Going, oh, I've never had a problem with this person. I've never had a problem with this person. And then Liefeld got into a uh, first a direct message spat with Scott Snyder, who's the writer of Batman. And then Rob decided to take it public. And um, basically Snyder was saying, hey, the reason why uh, Batman's so popular is because Greg Capullo and I are working on it. When whatever, everything you've done has just gone in the toilet Ooh. was kind of the basics of it. And Liefeld was like, no, it's not you. It's Batman. Batman could sell 80,000 copies without anybody blinking. And so there was a kind of back and forth on that. Did you read any of this stuff? 
I, I just read the initial stuff. I yeah, was the initial like, stuff I was like, was oh, good, good, good job, uh, Liefeld, for being like, yep, I'm leaving. Don't worry, guys. No bad blood. It's just I can't keep it up. You know, right, basically, right, right. Yeah, yeah. like this is a this is a crazy production schedule to get the, the 52 stuff out. I'm doing he was doing like two books, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, we know plenty of writers who can't do one book on time. Right. So, I mean, yeah, he was just like, yep, yep. You know, just having some trouble keeping up. Yeah, nobody can keep this up. It's well, really... and he said, and he came out and said, "Hey, I hit every single one of my deadlines. Yep, yep. I never missed it for over thirteen issues. Yep. But he said there were changes that were coming from editorial at the last minute that I just wasn't going to deal with. Right. And I'm paraphrasing. I mean, I'm giving you kind of the general feel of this, so, right? But so Rob, I, Rob Liefeld, if you're listening, I'm not saying that. Uh, yeah. All I all I read was the beginning of it, and I was like, well, good. I'm sure that's the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then. Uh, Apparently, Tom Brevoort over at Marvel had said something, mm. and Rob lashed back essentially of that that fat bastard, <laughs> called him a fat bastard, and good luck, and, and all these oh, things. Oh, wow. Uh, basically, didn't have kind words to say to, to Brevoort. He's like, hey, you know, sorry, pal, that you didn't get EIC, you know, good luck, and, you know, all this mm. other stuff. And, Oof. you know, on the one hand, uh, except for Brevoort's comments, and except for the little spat that he was getting back and forth, and really with, with the spat that he got into with Scott Snyder, he wasn't saying, uh, Snyder, you don't know what you're doing, um, and he wasn't putting Snyder down for any of his work. And honestly, if you read through all the tweets, uh, Liefeld does not really put anyone except for this one editor that he had a problem with down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've... I think he did a. I think he handled everything well, considering that everyone just turned around and attacked him, and considering that people generally attack Rob Liefeld on a daily basis. Right. right. Um, you know, I had I tweeted to him a couple of weeks ago saying, you know, how do you keep, you know, the the jackholes or the trolls from getting you down after all this constant years of stuff? And um, he didn't reply directly back to me, but one of his in his longer comments, he essentially said, um. Oh, can't draw anatomy, can't draw feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't heard that before. You know, come up with something original. And so he just seems to have just taken everything in stride and just mm-hmm. let that water roll off the duck's back kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What do you think of this, uh, Matthew? Well, I I have two problems. One is it's always the children who suffer when mommy and daddy fight. And as a comics fan, I never want to see the guys who make my comics sniping at each other. Sure. You know, this is one of the reasons why there are a few people in, in comics who I can't read their tweets. I don't want to hear what they have to say. Um, one of them, and I'm not going to mention who was mentioned on this show because I have no interest in what's going to happen when, you know, somebody says, but when it comes to Liefeld, there's, there's two schools of thought on Liefeld. Either Rob is an incredibly smart and canny self promoter who knows how to get people, you know, get people talking, get people going, get people saying, well, hey, Rob didn't do anything wrong. Or Rob is really completely unaware of what's going on in the world. And he just kind of blunders into the universe like Herman Munster. And derp, 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 derp. Either way, it's not something that I really want to see. I'm not, well, I'll, let's put it this way the three books that Rob took over are the three books of the New 52, the only three books of the New 52 that I've never gone back and revisited. Uh, uh, since he took over, or you read an issue of his and said that's enough? Well, I, I read an issue of Savage Hawkman before he took over, and then he took the next issue. I'm like, nah. I read issue one of Grifter. I may have re- 
reviewed it, or maybe Mike McClarity reviewed it. But either way, hmm. after reading number one of Grifter, I'm like, nope. And as soon as I started seeing his covers on Deathstroke, I'm like, yeah, I'm out. Now, granted, these are not characters that I have a whole lot of love for. Right. Now, I don't necessarily follow Rob around. I don't avoid him. You know, I really started. I, I started following him. I think after that whole, uh, um, uh, the guy that was just basically stealing art and calling it his own. Oh, uh, Rob Granito. Yeah, Granito. After that whole thing blew up on the internet, and um, Liefeld was kind of uh, instrumental in making sure that that guy got kicked out of some mm-hmm. of the shows. And I was like, well, let me follow him because I want to learn a little bit more about Rob Liefeld as a person, not necessarily as an artist, because I've already seen his his work there. Um, so it's kind of fascinating to just see him be a a person. And I'm very interested. I'd, I would really, really, and I know some people would like, oh, I would never listen to an interview with Rob Liefeld. But I would really like to sit down and interview him just to pick his brain on about a million different things. Um, not necessarily having to do with this blow up. But I, I think he's he's fascinating from that from that standpoint as here's somebody that became immensely popular in the 90s essentially disappeared or just moved from project to project and picked the projects that he worked on. And even though people, uh, well, even though people on the internet hate him and bag on him and have nothing good to say about him, he still has an immense following. And I didn't go back and fact check, but he did say that when he picked up on those three books, the Savage Hawkman, the Grifter and whatever the other one was, he said sales actually That's went fair. up when, when he got on the title, the sales I, went up. I don't doubt I it. believe that. And there is a large people that follow him. And so he just kind of walks these two worlds of people really hate me and people really love me. And it's I want to see how he I would really like to talk with him on how he deals with that. Obviously, we can see his Twitter feed, um, you know, kind of blows up. But um, there are a lot of creators, though, in comics who have that same sort of, you know, they have an immense following, but they'll say things and you're kind of like, hmm, you know, you're you're Dave Sim, you're Frank Miller, you're John Mm -hmm. Byrne. These are all respected creators who have, you know, strong followings, and they'll occasionally come out and say, "Well, this is how I feel about something, and I don't care what you say about it." Or you're wrong. Or in some cases, you're not allowed to come to my website anymore. And that's perfectly mm-hmm. within their right and within Rob's right. Uh, but again, no. for me, there's kind of an issue of why do I need to know what Rob Liefeld thinks of Tom Brevoort personally? Well, I mean, I don't really. I, I, I mean, I'm not really. I'm not really interested in what he thinks about Tom Brevoort. I want to see, and I'm interested in... The man behind the curtain? Yeah, the man, you know, who's that man behind the curtain, and why do so many people love him, and why do so many people hate him? I'm not interested in why he doesn't care for Tom Brevoort or uh, the the editor at DC that he didn't get along with, or why he got into a tussle with with Scott Snyder. I'm not interested in that. I just want to find out from him, you know... You know, why do people hate you? Why do you think people hate you? Why do you think people love you? Why do people, um, you know, why do people flock to every word that you have to say? Why are are people still obsessed with you, you know, 20 years after you guys launched Image and, and you were selling $300,000 or 300,000 uh, issues a month on that stuff? Those are kind of things. I mean, I just want to kind of find out. I mean, I I honestly think that, you know, at one point, uh, fame went to his head and he's still trying to deal with a lot of that. That's, that's what I'm really interested in from the, from his point of view. Mm. But I think the other question that needs to be asked in this, this entire conversation, Matthew is mm-hmm. here. We had Chris Roberson went out very, very publicly on why he was leaving DC comics. 
Um, and then DC kind of uh, trashed him a little bit, you know, canceled the series even before the, the last issue could get out. Uh, Grant Morrison leaves gracefully, right? Yeah. Uh, then we have um, Liefeld, who's leaving very publicly and in a bad way, and DC's just not saying anything. And of course, you know, Jim Lee, they're probably still good friends from Image Days. I don't know what the relationship is. But then immediately after, we find that Ben Abernathy is leaving DC Comics, Judd Winnick is is uh, leaving DC Comics, and there's at least one more creator in the last couple of days who is just leaving DC Comics to go and work on their own creator-owned projects. That's the question that hasn't been asked. Why are so many writers, and again, it could just be that we're in at the end of this natural arc of, the, of New 52 before the fifth wave hits, um, but... That is something that hasn't been asked. Why are so many people jumping the boat? I can tell you that, you know, right now. And I can do it in the form of an analogy from the past because I am old. In the 90s, Marvel went to a top-down editorial approach where there were five editors-in-chief, over a, each over a line of comics, and each of them said to the writers, here's the kind of stories, this is what's going to happen. Bob Harris says to... Uh, Peter David, he says, this is what I want to happen in X-Factor, or this is what you need to tie into in X-Factor. That top-down approach is a perfectly legitimate way to work. It's a perfectly legitimate way to produce work. But artists sometimes chafe at being told, I know you want to write this story where Turnip Man flies off into space and hides on the dark side of the moon, but you can't because Turnip Man has to be in Earth for the crisis on infinite tubers in two months, so I need you to make sure that this crossover issue is here. The, the New 52 initiative is very editorial top-down. Oh, yeah, top, yeah, yeah. Very well, I mean, every, big event, every big event is top-down driven. Oh, I would say sure, sure, but when it comes to New 52 specifically, you know, the discussions about the behind is you can't be late. You know, you got to make sure that you're working. If you're late, we're just going to put in another issue with another creator or we'll stick somebody else on the title or we'll get we'll get somebody to do a fill in issue. You've got, you know, you've got very much a I don't want to say work for hire, but very much a here is what you. But see, that's what I think the real underlying message is, especially when we're hearing these people saying, well, I'm going to go off and do some creator own stuff for a while Mm -hmm. is that. You know, there is this, I don't own any piece of this story that I'm creating. I don't own any piece of this character that I am helping to develop. Uh, I own nothing of this. And so it does become that work for hire. And, um, you know, I was really surprised when that uh, uh, Justice League movie came out uh, not too long ago that was based on Babel, the Mark Wade story. Mark Wade not given really, yeah, Doom, not given any credit in, in that story. And I was like, what the heck? You know, and so it's I, I just get this underlying that that maybe creators are starting to say, hey, if not creators, but just writers, artists, whoever they may be, maybe what I really need to explore is the creator owned work where I own 100 percent. And maybe that has a little bit to do with image itself, the success of Walking Dead and some other creator owned works, um, Mark Miller stuff um, that may be kind of prompting these people to say corporate, you know, see ya. Or corporate. I'm going to take some time off and do this. I think that it's nice to see creators with an option Mm -hmm. because less than, you know, 20 years ago, you had no option. You wanted to write comics. You either, you came out, you did it all yourself like Eastman and Laird, or you went to Marvel like Jerry Conway. You wrote all these great stories. You write the death of Gwen Stacy. They make a movie, you get nothing. 
So it's nice to see a Grant Morrison be able to go, I'm going to write this wonderful story I've got in my head about Batman. And DC is going to pay me well, and I'm going to get royalties, and I'm going to take my royalties and my money, and I'm going to go write a story about Adolf Hitler as a teenager growing up in, in, in you know, Berlin. You can do that now. So seeing it doesn't necessarily make me think, oh, sayonara, you know, big, big two. It's, I've done that for a while now. Now I'm going to go over here. I've made a little money. I've got a nest egg. I'm going to make my own comic where I can have Turnip Man on the dark side of the moon, you know, drinking monster rehabs and having a discussion with the Phantom Stranger. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I would encourage people to, uh, if they want to see the words for themselves, not our interpretation of those words, to go over to twitter.com slash Robert Liefeld, and you will be able to see, um, see his entire comments and you can follow the threads and you can expand them and you can view the conversations and see the replies and you can mm-hmm. read all of that for yourself. Uh, you better hurry though, because they may get pretty buried, uh, pretty far down. And mm-hmm. so I think all happened like Thursday, Friday, Saturday is when it all kind of started of, uh, last week. So go check it out. It's, it's interesting to read. Uh, and I'd, I'd be interested to hear other people's thoughts. Rodrigo, any other thoughts on this? I think that the new 52 was a big splashy thing. And when you have a bunch of different artists in a cramped space, you're eventually you're going to have people get upset and go away or just go away or get frustrated and go away. I mean, it's a, you are trying to do line like assembly line work with artists right, right. and that just kind of doesn't work. Right. So, I mean, the clearly they're trying to cycle artists in and out mm-hmm. now i think with these new this new batch that's coming out so we'll see how that goes and really that's what they should have had in mind to begin with i think yeah i like what uh, dan didio said uh, this past weekend at fan expo in canada uh rob is a very passionate guy and these things happen there you go so which is a that's that to me is a very classy way to deal with the fact that people have misconceptions opinions you know disagreements but feeding into it doesn't necessarily help. So that's cool. Yeah. All right. So some lessons that can be learned. Listeners, we want to know what you think. Head over to Majorspoilers.com and share your thoughts. When we come back, reviews. How to get a Major Spoilers shout out. If you want to get a personalized shout out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the Make a Donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 20-06. Thank you, everyone, who has contributed. And please, more people contribute to the cause because it uh, helps us do some great things. And I guarantee you next week, many of you will be jumping up and down, rejoicing, over fascinating news and twists and turns and plot developments. Speaking oh. of twists and turns and plot developments, let's get to some reviews. Review. Oh, you know what? People are asking, where is, where is young Master Zack this week? Mm-hmm. Zack decided that you guys were not important enough oh. to be graced by his presence. Oh, slander. <laughs> who's, who's saying where's Zack? Because I, so, I forgot there was a fourth guy on the so, show. So uh, Zack went to uh, Red Rocks. This is today to go see uh, Mumford and Son in concert. Oh. So Ooh, I hope wait, he's wait, having wait, wait, fun. Wait. You know what this means? It's time. Ladies and gentlemen, 
long-term followers of the Major Spoilers podcast will note the existence of fake Rigo, who goes, hello, I am Rodrigo, and of course, fake Steven, who goes, hi, my name's Steven, I have an iPad. Today is a historic day, and a historic day, because it is the debut of fake Zach. Are you prepared? Drum roll, please. Bada bada ba boom rimshot. Fake, fake Zach, ladies and gentlemen. I'll have to check with the manager. <laughs> oh, and I'm sure he will be listening. Do we, to do this. we have Leader Cola? <laughs> sorry, Mr. Schleicher. Uh, I didn't do that uh, editorial like I was supposed to this week. Uh, uh, sorry. Let's get to some reviews. Just, hey, you know what? We do not review enough titles from the big five publishers. No, we definitely not. We do not. I mean, we've been reviewing what? Uh, these things from Blue Water and from Archie Comics and right. from Zenoscope. Let's review some of the big companies like Dark Horse Entertainment. Yes. There we go. So uh, your reviews this week are all Dark Horse Entertainment. Yep. Yay. We'll correct that later by getting back to some of the indie publishers when we uh, get into our- We uh, love Dark Horse. We love- Yeah, you know, Dark Horse is actually really kind of um, uh, spread out in their their coverage. Oh, yeah. I mean, here this week, I'm I'm reviewing Lobster Johnson, The Prayer of Nefiru, and Rodrigo has got uh, Axe Cop. Mm-hmm. And Matthew has got Buffy. They've got yep. Star Wars. They've got dinosaurs. They've got Hellboy. I mean, they've just got so much different kinds of stuff that sometimes it amazes me when we do a bunch of reviews that I'll go back and look and go Dark Horse, Dark Horse, Dark Horse, Dark Horse. And well, they really are yeah, a Dark I mean, Horse. Totally. I, I just, uh, you know, for a long time, I've been pretty tired of, of Capes comics. Yes. So, you know, dark, both Dark Horse and Image recently have been my go-to companies because, mm-hmm. yeah, Image, both Image and Dark Horse are putting out superhero stuff as well, but they're pl- putting out plenty of non-superhero stuff. Right, right. That I can, you know, sit down and not see that same story that, you know, I've read 20 times just with, like, different mm-hmm. costume guys. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the same guy with two different costumes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, um, I, I, I would consider myself a pulp fan fan of the pulp uh mm-hmm. fiction mm-hmm. um even though i would not say i know everything about doc savage or everything about the shadow or anything like that sure, I, but you I don't know ha- you don't have to to enjoy them no i know and that's i think what gets down to the heart of some people when they say uh you know oh quit calling yourself a, a geek girl or a nerd girl or something like right, that right. Uh, you know i consider myself a pulp fan so i enjoy reading pulpy stories mm-hmm. and uh this week i didn't know if this was going to be good or not but i'm so glad i picked this up lobster johnson the prayer of nefiru uh, it is written by uh, Mike Mignola and uh, John O'Curdy, Um and it tells the story, again, these stories that they've been telling of Lobster Johnson uh, at his height, uh, during the 30s, during the pulp. And what makes this issue so great is that, of course, the Hellboy universe is populated with the supernatural. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I've always talked about, uh, and I've probably mentioned multiple times on this show, is that up until 1945, with the... Um, um, first nuclear bomb detonation magic was really prevalent but then after the bomb went off you see this in carnival and you see this mm-hmm. in a bunch of other stories of the time after that everything is all science this is that magical pulpy time period uh in this story and one of the things that kind of stands out when we talk about that time period is fake mediums trying to take advantage of people uh egyptian uh, everything egyptian is very popular uh, during this time period and this story, um, someone has stolen a mummy, and the uh, um, Lobster Johnson goes to investigate, and sure enough, there is this uh, this woman who's pretending to be Nefiru, 
but she's also but she's uh, otherwise known as Wilma Kazan, a nightclub performer, owner, cocaine dealer, accessory to murder. And Lobster Johnson is just like, you're a fake. This is fake. Quit trying to bilk all these mobsters out of their money. Uh, her big uh, brute of a bodyguard knocks him upside the head when he wakes up. He's down in the in the bottom basement dwelling of this theater. And she has been burning all of these uh, mummies that are actually priests uh, 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 so that, that she can release their spirit into this tempered sword so that she can control their spirits and become a high priestess of whatever, have some infinite power, right? Well, of course, it all goes horribly wrong. Lobster Johnson breaks the sword, which releases the spirit. He uses the uh, sword to stab the big brute guy. Uh, the spirits drag uh, the the woman into the uh, fire pit and burn her alive. And um, the big brute guy turns into this kind of hulking monster mummy kind of guy. Mm. And it ends basically with Lobster Johnson showing that technology is always going to prevail over magic by grabbing one of his grenades and just blowing the thing up. And that's how the story ends. It's just this. It's got everything that a pulp story would have. It's got this supernatural aspect. It's got this horror aspect of it. It's got the adventure aspect of it. What's going to happen to our hero? It's got some, you know, some very uh, cliched lines that you would find. Take that, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. you're prepared to die. You know, you have suffered the wrath of whatever. And then it's just it's really, really good. I, I just found myself caught up in this story and it reads so quickly. Um that uh, that I just I really love the story from from that aspect. I could read, I don't know, twelve of these kinds of stories a year mm-hmm. and not be tired of them. Um, the art by uh, Wilfred Torres, uh, colors by Dave Stewart, who I'm starting to really follow. Dave Stewart <laughs> as a it's uh, a nice thing to do and a tasty way to do it. I yeah, love his work. Um, his I'm really starting to follow him as a colorist because he shows up all over the place mm-hmm. as a colorist and he does a phenomenal job. And the art in this issue, I think, is just uh, is just wonderful as well. Um, top to bottom story pacing. It hits me right up in the interest area that I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, the art is good. The story is good. I'm giving this one five out of five stars. It's a three fifty book. Wow. But uh, it is well worth the admission price. And uh, granted, um, Lobster Johnson is not a big Hellboy character in, in, in the sense of the greater Hellboy community. Right, right. But he is an important character um, uh, in, in, that, in that universe, in his pocket of the universe. Mm-hmm. And this was, this was just wonderful. I loved it. I, I'm going to go back and read it again probably about three more times before the weekend. So. Have you read a lot of Lobster Johnson? He's only, you know, he appeared in mm-hmm. the Hellboy series in that one, that one time. And then we've had a mini series of him that's a flashback, and then another mini series. I think that was in like Dark Horse Presents is where mm-hmm. they serialize mm-hmm. that, and then we've got this one shot. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of I mean there's not a lot of Lobster Johnson out there, right? Uh, but it's what is I have there? a really hero good. clicks of him. I, I have I that one too. Uh, maybe I gave that one to you. Oh, you probably gave me six of them. Yeah, because I remember I dumped a whole bunch of hero clicks <laughs> yeah, off at your door. Yeah, everything you gave me, it's like, here's 15 thugs and a hooker, and also some hero clicks I found. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so five out of five for um, uh, Lobster Johnson, Prayer of Nefiru one shot. Go pick it up. Um, let's, uh, let's take a look at a book from, uh, oh, I know, Dark Horse Comics. Oh, nice. That'd be awesome. Axe Cop, President of the World, comes out this week. Right, so Axe Cop, President of the World, uh, written by uh, Malachi. Malachi, who is, I believe, eight years old. Now he's now. eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and and you can tell that you know the stories are getting more mature. Um, there's definitely a lot more. Uh, the monkey pooped himself. Yes. <laughs> there's definitely a lot more. Uh, like the drama is a little bit more complex. You know, people's families are getting kidnapped and things like that. Um, you know, in this issue, there's not a lot of axe cop. It's no, kind of not. this in this issue. This issue is kind of a big setup for the bad guys. Mm-hmm. There are basically three groups of bad guys in this issue. There's a, a pair of robot brothers who want to be the evilest. There is a mad scientist <laughs> who also wants to be the most evil. And then there are these aliens who kidnapped a Goop Cop's family. Oh no, Goop and, Cop. Um, and nobody wants to basically team up. Nobody wants to team up with them, so they kind of have like this counter um, plan against the other bad guys. It's you know, I mean, if you if you take a step back and look at it, it's surprisingly complex, and it opens with a giant. Uh, half cheetah, half Tyrannosaurus monster on a motorcycle uh, fighting a giant gorilla. <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, the artist, I for, actually, I forgot uh, his name. Ethan. Yeah. His, he has, like, he just keeps getting better and better. Like, you know, if you look at early Axe Cop, it's solid. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. Right. But there's such, like, comedic nuance to everything. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, I mean... He could be he could be drawing anything he wanted. He could be drawing Spider Man. He could be drawing Deadpool. He could sure. be drawing anything. You know, Batman. Right. Um. You know, he's good enough to do that. But he brings a real solid, uh, like a, a real solidity to a comic that is just bounces off the walls like crazy. Um. Mm-hmm. All in all, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I would give this... I'd give this four and a half stars. Uh, we haven't gotten quite to the point, I, I don't think, where uh, Axe Cop is president of the world. But I, I think that's no, probably... No, he's the president the, of the oh, world. Oh, yeah, he the president yeah, he of the world. Yeah, he starts out because oh, at the end, the, last, out. the end of the last series, they made him president of the world. Uh, now here he is as president of the world having to cope with a, world problems <laughs> as, as far as superheroes coming there and attacking this, and there's just, apes that shoot volcanoes out of their butts. Right, there's just this great, great panel... Because uh, the, these robots want to um, get people to hate Axe Cop, so they turn into a giant Axe Cop robot and tear up the city. <laughs> but nobody believes it, and there's this great headline where that's like, giant robot attack fools nobody. <laughs> just that's a just good one. so good. Uh, yeah, if you guys are not familiar with Axe Cop, we've reviewed some Axe Cop stuff here on the on the podcast yeah, so you can go, review too, go check and, it out mm-hmm. and definitely we have there's plenty of Axe Cop floating around on the site and you know you just go to their website and check out Axe Cop you really you'll get a kick out of it now President of the World is a print only thing right now yeah so you can't find you cannot find this on their website so you have to go to Dark Horse or your local comic store or probably find it in your iPad Yes, on Comixology. Uh, I don't. You maybe on Comixology. Certainly, Dark Horse has their own mm-hmm. standalone their own, app that you can yeah. get. So, go check that out. All right, Matthew. It is up to you to round up uh, our review by covering something from I don't know, maybe Dark Horse. I could do Dark Horse. Yeah, that'd be great. No, wait. Okay, I'll do some Dark Horse. Are you sure? Yeah. Uh, we don't want to put any pressure no. on you to do Dark Horse. Oh, well, let, let's do Dark Horse. Then. Dark Horse, right, well, it is. Right, right, okay. It was a, well. If, if it's a choice between Dark Horse, Dark Horse, and Dark Horse, um, I'm just going to split the Gordian knot and go Dark Horse. Buffy, the Vampire Slayer, season nine, 
has many, many colons in it. And I'm not entirely sure if the title of this book that I'm reading is Buffy, colon, the Vampire Slayer, colon, season nine, colon, Spike. No, I think it's just uh, Buffy, the Vampire Slayer, colon, Spike. Spike. Well, the indicia on the book just says Spike number one, and I think that's probably the coolest way to deal with it. Spike, for those of you who don't know Buffy, the Vampire Slayer, is one of the vampires that Buffy fell in love with at somewhere along the line. He's the cool one. He's the one who actually has a passable British accent. There is nothing worse than David Boreanaz trying to be Irish, by the way. Go back and look at some of those episodes because, damn. In any case, Buffy the Vampire Slayer recently had a pregnancy scare in her book where it turned out she wasn't pregnant. She was just a robot. Make of that what you will. In this issue, Spike is dealing with the fact that when Buffy had her panic attack and wasn't sure what she was going to do because she thought she was pregnant, she called on him for help. And he thought that meant she loved him. And it just turned out that she was desperately in need of somebody. And so Spike has gone off by himself. Spike, of course, is a vampire from the 1800s whose character is pretty much defined by 70s punk, who wears a cool leather jacket and also pilots a spaceship uh, full of alien bugs for some reason. I have yet to read an explanation of why Spike has a spaceship full of alien bugs. (laughs) I can't verify whether one has actually been put into print, and I kind of like it better that way because Spike is a character who's all about mystery. Um, But in any case, this issue starts with Spike being sad and depressed and flying his spaceship to the dark side of the moon. Yes, he makes a Pink Floyd reference, which is awesome. And he talks about Roger Waters and, you know, gets drunk, hiding on the dark side of the moon and dealing with heartbreak, even though his heart hasn't beat since 1879. And it's fascinating throughout this issue to see the Spike voice. And it's very difficult to do a Spike voice because if you've ever seen the show, James Marsters talks very specifically. And he has this really, 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 well, passable English accent. You can hear Spike's voice in every page of this book especially at the point where his alien bug slaves start figuring that something has to change. And one of them is like, I have ordered them to listen to me. And they take him to the solarium and they open the doors on the solarium and they let in the sun. Notice vampire. And Spike is like, no, we're all going to die. And then, of course, we get some strange bit and it turns out that the bugs weren't trying to kill him. The bugs were trying to cheer him up based on an ad they saw in a Vanity Fair magazine that Buffy (laughs) left behind. So they they made a beach on the solarium with uh, three little uh, Coronas in a bucket and a deck chair. (laughs) And they polarized – this is funny. We've polarized the solarium with necro-tempered glass to filter out the spectrum of sunlight harmful to vampires. That panel right there. That panel is worth the two ninety nine. Just uh, the the bug telling the undead vampire that they found a way to filter out the part of sunlight that will dust him. That right there is my three dollars, and everything else is gravy. There's some fighty fighty in this issue. There's a strange menace on the moon, and someone seems to want Spike's ship. But what it really breaks down to is the sight of Spike still wearing his uh, big leather jack boots like he always does. And uh, Bermuda shorts sitting in a deck chair and talking to his living cockroaches, some of whom are wearing lays and grass skirts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a really fun issue. I think this is a five-issue mini. 
And as, you know, as the character is trying to be shaken out of his depression and his funk, I think that the story has to really be fun. The story has to really do that for us as readers as well. You know, we're, we're dealing with the fact that this character has deeper emotions than he ever wants to admit, and that's fine. But then we get to a point where it's like, okay, I'm going to beat you to death with this broken beer bottle, and we're going to have a big fight on the moon. And it, it's fun. I would say four and a half slices of meatloaf. Not a perfect issue. Artistically very good. Spike never has issues. There are some problems at the end when we meet the threat where it's the the standard issue, oh, here's a big, bad, terrible person threat story that feels very familiar. It ends with a nice cliffhanger. It's very well written, very well drawn. Kind of a fun issue. I, I like this issue, especially, you know, for me, when it comes to a licensed book, and I say this over and over and over, and I apologize for those of you who heard this a dozen times, there are two questions. Does it Hello, look Hello, I'm right? Fake Regal. Mm. Hello. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> My name is Steven. Hello. Does it look right? And yes, it does look like James Marsters as Spike. Not mm-hmm. to be confused with the guy who played Cyclops, whose name is not James Marsters, whose name is like something similar. Marsden. I don't know. James Marsden. Mm-hmm. They should get together and they should have a movie where it's James Marsters and James Marsden, and they should call it We're in Everything. <laughs> but... It looks like Spike. You never forget that this is clearly meant to be Spike in his black coat. And the voice, the, the actual dialogue works for Spike. So right there, you, you're win-win. It's a good issue. Excellent. All right. Wow. Who would have thought? Three books from Dark Horse Comics all scoring high marks. Yay. Hooray. All right, everyone, uh, if you want to help us out, maybe you want to buy some of these books, maybe you want to buy our trade paperback of the week, maybe you're looking to buy school books. It is that time of year, Rodrigo. Yeah. What, what kind of things do you buy online? I buy um, I buy things, and then I buy things to keep them in. Ah, like little magic cards and little magic card sleeves that then have to go into a magic card box that then right. go into a magic box like a bigger card box case. and then which goes into like a backpack it's like a little nesting yes it's like a <laughs> like russian dolls of nerdiness <laughs> or you know if you collect them like russian dolls it's like russian dolls matthew what do you buy online uh pretty much anything i can find uh the other day i, I think i told you i bought the uh, new case for my phone oh yeah yeah the uh, uh the uh cassette tape thing yeah um, I haven't really bought anything this last month or two because, well, I have a no money and I, I, I wander around with a no money and the people say, do you want to buy something? I say, yes. And they say, here, it's a $12. And I say, I have a 43 cents. And then they send me out for sounding like a Chico Marx, which is not good there. Okay. Uh, um, I don't know why I'm talking like that, by the way, literally I've slept seven hours in the last 63. It should be an entertaining show. People are buying, what are people buying? People are buying cars, televisions, cars, uh, all ducks. sorts of things from Amazon.com. And if you're going to buy something from Amazon.com, it's getting close to the uh, Christmas holiday season. Might as well get ahead in your shopping and buy now. Head over to Majorspoilers.com. There's a link to Amazon.com. Click on that link. Buy your product just like you normally would. Same price as you normally would pay. Only difference is we get a little bit of that Amazon money. Amazon's got so much money. I mean, they're building 
distribution outlets all over the place. Yeah. They really don't isn't, need isn't that outlets. what the uh, the curiosity is there to do, to build an outlet for yes. Amazon and on Mars? Yes, exactly. So, yes, that's exactly what it's doing. So, listeners, if you want to help us out, keep the lights on, keep the site running, keep the show going, all the shows running, all you have to do is go over to Majorspoilers.com, click on that Amazon.com link, and uh, help the economy. Help boost the economy by buying things today. When we come back, oh, you know what? What? We're not ready to go to the we're when not? we come back. You know, you know what? We're ready. Why? Why? It's time. It's time, Stephen. Really? For the millions. What time is it? It's time. Well, it could be 1955. It could be 2015. 1.21 gigawatts. And depending on what Biff Tannen has done, we have no idea of knowing whether we're the real timeline or the false timeline. That, by the way, is not a good Christopher Lloyd. I have no idea what that was, and Marty, I would like to just, apologize. It's about your kids, Marty. Oh, Admiral Kirk, you, you know, don't want to give me the Genesis device. Okie doke. You know, that, was, that is probably one of his. Uh, we had to do a poll on what is his best role. Oh, mm. I really love him as Judge Doom. Judge Doom. Yeah. That is awesome. a brilliant, awesome. brilliant role. And I almost didn't realize it was him. Until about halfway through the movie, and it's mm-hmm. like, holy crap, that's Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> that's Doc Brown. <laughs> that's going to be next week's poll. we got to throw in Reverend Jim. Yeah. Because the Reverend Jim sequences are just hysterical. But it's time for the millions in attendance and for Marty's kids. The poll of the week, 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 week. Always seems like this time of year, fall, for whatever reason. I don't know why, because... Uh, Back to the Future actually came out during the summer, I believe, mm-hmm. early, early midsummer. I remember reading the novel, novelization going, oh, I can't wait till this gets to the mm-hmm. theater. Oh, this is going to be so good. And uh, so uh, we've got a couple of movies, Back to the Future, Back to the Future Part 2, and Back to the Future Part 3. Mm-hmm. Three movies that tell a grand story. Actually, I was sitting in class today and I was having a discussion about the Star Wars, tri- uh, Star Wars whatever it is, Quintilogy. Um, and septrology, septrology. Uh, and one of the students, you know, we were talking about how monomyth and all that stuff. And one of the students raises her hand and she says, you know, after I think about it, the star Wars is really just a tragic love story. I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're right. On many different levels. It is a tragic (laughs) love story, whether it be Anakin and Padme or Luke and Leia or Luke or, and, uh, uh, Luke and Luke's hand that is no longer there. Yes. Or Uh, George Lucas Lucas and the fans. Uh, many different oh, levels. God. Oh my God! Uh, we're going to hell for but that. But we're joke. we are uh, we're talking this week about Back to the Future. Hmm. Which of the three movies? They're all tell a complete story. But which installment is your favorite installment, Matthew? Go. Well, I'm kind of a when I go through life. There there are two kinds of people. There are those who can extrapolate from incomplete data. No, I'm sorry. There are Dantes and there are Randalls. And I'm a Dante in that my favorite uh, part of uh, the Star Wars trilogy is Empire. Right. Because it's, it's such a down ending. I have that same love affair with Back to the Future 2. Mm. Because 2 is the point where we started doubling back on time tracks. Right. And it ends with that depressing, well, semi-depressing cliffhanger. And then the big Joe Flaherty cameo at the end. But... Two is my favorite because you get to see the moments where Marty is watching Marty 
mm. or hiding yeah, yeah. backstage mm-hmm. while he's doing his big uh, when his big thing with Marion Barry on stage. Right, right. Marion Barry was the mayor of DC. I don't know who was on the stage. Marvin Barry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's it's definitely two for me because two has you know all the really bizarre sequences. And the freeze-dried Pizza Hut. I love the Pizza Hut product right, right, placement right. there. So yeah. subtle. So subtle. Oh, well, all the product course, placement is subtle in that movie. Yeah, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. As yeah. uh, the uh, I think his name is Needles. I don't know. Yeah, Needles. Needles or the other yeah. guy is Needles. Where he's no, he's like, Needles. What are you, a chicken? You chicken McFly? Yeah, it sets up, and this is weird for me, it sets up all of these conflicts that don't go anywhere until the third movie. Mm-hmm. But it builds on the first movie so well. That I'm just like, I love this part. And then I get to the third movie, and I don't necessarily care for the third movie as much. I like Back to the Future, but two for me is as much fun because Back to the Future builds its own reality and then goes back 30 years and riffs on that reality. Yeah, yeah. Back to the Future 2 riffs on the reality that was created in that first movie and also riffs on the fact that it's a movie. It's so metatextual where they're making jokes about the jokes that they made that were a joke about something in that first movie. Like, you know, Mayor Goldie Wilson, that has a callback in two, which is fascinating to me. Plus, Leah Thompson has cleavage in that movie. (laughs) You wanted these things. Rodrigo, what about you? Well, I, I will agree that uh, the, the, the scenes in which Marty is, like, slinking around himself right. are really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, for the time period, the oh, technical achievement to pull that off. Oh, certainly. Wonderful. Yeah. I mean, that th- I, I can't be sure, but I'm pretty certain that this is one of the very first, um, the uh, camera, motion control cameras, where mm-hmm. they can repeat that same move again and again oh, and again and nice. again so that they could line all the plates up. I'm pretty sure, but I don't, I'm pretty sure that it is. Nice. But um, once we get to part two and part three, although, uh, you know, awesome movies and and cool special effects and wacky things happening, things start to fray at the seams. You start finding a lot more plot holes. And that kind of sticks in my craw a little bit as I'm watching them. You know, I mean, I really do enjoy this trilogy. They're fantastic Mm -hmm. movies and they're a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. But for me, it has to be Back to the Future because it's so tight. Yeah, You know, everything, like, this one doesn't have three movies worth of continuity to wrap up. Um, So everything that happens is completely self-contained and I think that makes for a tighter narrative. So I'm going to have to go with Back to the Future. The very first one. The very first yeah. one. You know, um, so I correct myself here. The first large-scale application of motion control was in Star Wars Episode Four: uh, A New Hope, 1977, so know. that they could do more of the spaceship stuffs. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, and Zemeckis shaking his fist. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, for me, I you know, I have to sit and, and think about this. You're right. The story really starts to fall apart. To me, in the second story, mm-hmm. just because it's like, oh, well, here's a hole, here's a hole, here's a hole. Um, and at the time when those movies came out, I was totally against Westerns. <laughs> so part three was really a bitter pill to have to <laughs> go to the theater and watch. Um, and it really, I mean, it was a more of a love story. I mean, it was a love story, not an adventure. You know, here's Doc yeah. Brown going nuts over... Um, over uh, what's her name, the teacher, yeah, and then Clayton, yeah, Miss Clayton, Miss Clayton, or Clayburn, Claymore, whatever. Um, but um, and then and Marty 
having to realize that you don't have to punch somebody in the face just because they call you a chicken, which really wasn't introduced until, until the second until film, yeah, I which mean, really yeah. kind of felt forced. And I really didn't like that mm-hmm. uh, in either of the two because it's like, well, we never saw that in. And I have to go back and I'd probably have to go back and reread the novelization because there may have been something in the novelization that kind of touched on that. I seem to remember mm-hmm. maybe something about it, um, but it wasn't in the big screen. It wasn't. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. um, but the first one is so self-contained. And even though the ending is, we have to go do something about your children, Marty, and you're just left with this, the end question mark. Right. Um, really kind of left it open to your imagination right, right. to say off, what kind off, of fantastic adventures adventure, yes. will CBS come up with next on Saturday morning, you know? Um, so for me, just because of the, the way that Zemeckis captured the time period and everything didn't feel, uh, there were a lot of practical effects in the first Back to the Future movie. When we started getting into two and three, there was a lot more... CGI stuff and some of that today looks really really fakey mm-hmm. um, that uh, I, I still have this passion for the very first Back to the Future movie there's just something about that film that I will watch and love and enjoy every time it's on even if I come in in the last 10 minutes of the movie I'll be like okay look he's gonna get up to 88 miles per hour and he's gonna boom and then he's ah, Libyans and duck and it, there's something great about that yeah. um, but you know if I were to flip through and catch you know the future se- sequence of of two, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, but look at all the product placement. It really just got product yeah. placement-y. And then the Western stylings of three, yaha, we get it. Your name's uh, Clint Eastwood. Can can I just say that three has, and I think we may have talked about it in, in, in on the show before, but mm-hmm. three has, like, there's something about three that seriously creeped me out because his paternal great-great-great-grandmother Looks just like his mother, right. which she shouldn't. I mean, she shouldn't, yes. right? But there's that she's family not resemblance. That yes. but, but but she's not yeah, of the right know. family. Know. If there is a family resemblance, there's a problem. I know. Yeah, uh, or they're royals. Yes. yes. Well, I could be a two. The yes. royal time travelers. Well, they're Lannisters. With cousins, marry. <laughs> so Matthew, uh, we've given our answers. How does the rest of the major spoilerite universe? The spoilers have spoken. 167 Sean Connery impersonations currently in play. Uh, Vamp for time, vamp for time, while your computer updates the site. 68%, and uh, expectedly so, of voting Back to the Future, the original movie, the favorite. Uh, 26% looking at Back to the Future dose. Uh, Only 6% saying Back to the Future 3 is the favorite. I think that part of that is that Back to the Future 3, while a fun movie, is the weakest thematically of all. Mm -hmm. And I think that to some degree 3 feels a little bit like a gimmick movie because of the cowboy thing. But then there's also that whole, you know, Star Trek 3, Return of the Jedi, the third movie always kind of gets no respect. Yeah, I mean, Cat Halo, as I go through the comments, he's really the first one that pops up and says, I love them all, but I I hold the third as my favorite. I love Westerns, and it was a brave and clever choice for an installment in the franchise. Yeah, you're right, it was. It was a a brave choice. Yeah, there's a a lot of cool things in that third movie. There's a lot of cool things in that second movie. I mean, like, one of the scenes that I absolutely love, and I think this is in the second one, um... Yeah, I think it's in the second one. Um, is uh, the you know the gets up to eighty eight miles per hour, pew, takes off. Right, right. Doc starts dancing, yeah, mm-hmm. and you see Marty round the corner yeah, yeah, and yeah. come at him. Yeah, I love that scene. That that scene yeah. is just amazing. Like no, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. I sent you back to the future. 
But but that's right, Buck. But you have to help me get back back to the past so we can save yourself and time stream. And oh, I pass uh, out and don't believe that you're real, future boy. Yeah, and then he falls over. Yeah, end of and movie two. Goes, da, 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 and then da, it da, says da. coming in October. Or right. These two really released like really back to back. They didn't release within a year of each other. I mean, they, they were literally they released within like s- three to six months of. They one they really feel like one continuous yeah, movie, did. and mm-hmm. I think they were shot. They, shot they were back written to back. that way. Yeah. They were shot that way. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't know if this was one of the first. The two and three were the first movies to be shot back to back in this mm-hmm. way, but they were shot back to back, and that was kind of a big deal. And then the fact that they were released back to back. Um, yep. it's kind of cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. All right, everybody, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. You can cast your vote for which is your favorite Back to the Future movie. And when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking about the champions of the wild, Weird West. Stick around. Hello, Major Spoilers. This is Andreas Fonten calling from the far side of the world. Just calling to give a late, late praise to Rob and his participation in the show. It was really great to have him, and I'm going to miss him sorely. Rob was a big part of why I started listening to the show because of the critical hits. So I was sad to see him go, but again, I think Sag is doing a great job, and I'm looking forward to hearing. Uh, you see me? Yeah. See you then. Hey guys, uh, I just listened to, um, I believe it was your Hulk Bray episode, and uh, Rodrigo went over Real Science Adventures number five, uh, Atomic Robo. And um, it kind of made me think about something. I've been, I've been reading that book since it came out, and I've been enjoying it because of the story, but the art, I just like, I, I thought about it, and the art has just been kind of subpar the entire time. Um, and that, like, I've been enjoying it while I've read it, but now that I look back at, like, each of the issues, I'm just, I've, I'm actually let down after the fact by how not great the art is compared to uh, what Atomic Robo usually is. Um, and so that just kind of got me thinking, like, am I willing to keep plunking down the two ninety nine or three ninety nine, whatever it is, for Atomic Robo, if the story is good, but the other fifty percent of, of the comic book is subpar. Like not not what I'm I guess what I think I'm I'm paying for. Um I don't know. Um this is uh this is Mighty Mac in Ohio's outer rim, by the way. I don't think I said that. But uh yeah, I don't I don't this is Blue Yonder. Wanted to chime in on your uh, conversation on expanded universes. I read uh, the Star Wars expanded universe a lot. I got into it through the uh, Young Jedi Knights with uh, Jania and Jason Solo. Uh, loved it, and then I kept reading. I kept reading into uh, I think Heir to the Empire and uh, I Jedi and all that great stuff. And then I read, I think it's the New Jedi Order, uh, which is the one with the Yaozen and Wong or whatever they called. But it was basically a crisis-level event in the Star Wars universe that pulled together all the Star Wars uh, characters into one massive series. A moon falls on Chewbacca, lots of big fighty fighty. And I love that. 
but then after that was over, I thought, okay, that's a great ending for those for that Star Wars time period. I knew it wasn't the end of Star Wars, but I thought that was a great ending. But then, not probably six months later, another book series came out called, I think, The Dark Nest Saga or something, and I felt kind of cheated. I felt like that was too much, and then it kept going. It, you had uh, Jason Solo going to the dark side, and now we're in, I think, Fate of the Jedi, which I imagine may or may not link up with Star Wars Legacy, that comic written by John Ostrander. So I, I kind of have to concur with Matthew. Sometimes it's uh, a good thing, and sometimes it's too much. I think every writer needs to ask themselves, when is the end really the end? Keep up the good work, Major Spoilers. I'll keep listening. Bye. What's going on, Major Spoilers? This is Bill from South Carolina. I wanted to chime in on your uh, Daredevil Yellow uh, topic that you had on a recent show. Uh, I read the book, and I kind of liked it. My wife really liked it, and I asked her why. She said it, it read like a chick flick. She said, you know, the story was about love and loss, and she really got into it. And so that said, I kind of recommend books like Spider-Man Blue and, and Daredevil Yellow and you know, that female that reads those kind of romance things and, you know, you're trying to get her into comics. Me, I kind of came away with a, a different opinion of the book. Stephen, I saw what you were saying about Matt Murdock's flat nose and elongated face. Kind of figured he, that happened when the radioactive cylinder hit him. But the other thing I've got, and I'm just going to say it, I think daredevil got hygiene issues. I mean, Think about it. Here he is, normal guy. The only thing he's got going for him, he's got heightened senses. Other than that, he's got regular regular strength. He's just a really great athlete. So he's up there flipping around on the building, doing all these acrobatic moves, and those roofs are not the cleanest places in the world, by the way. He gets off after about 30 minutes, he's got the smell. He's got the smell real bad. And what does he do? He puts on his outfit right over his daredevil costume and walks in the office. And then there's Karen looking at him saying, oh, poor Matt, he just needs somebody to take care of him. Yeah, I think she probably thinks he needs somebody to show him where the shower is. But anyway, that's the way I'm feeling about daredevil. I can't figure it out. He's got super senses. He's got super smell. He's got to know how bad he smells. If you're going to tell everybody you're not Daredevil, you shouldn't smell like Daredevil. I'm just saying. But that's my two cents on Daredevil. If anybody can answer that question on why he doesn't smell and nobody catches on, I'd appreciate that. I'll talk to you all later. Till next time, make mine major spoilers. Thank you, everyone, for calling in. And remember, if you'd like to share your thoughts or comments or you want to contribute to the Major Spoilers podcast, you can contact us, Matthew, at the Major Spoilers Hotline, that number is... We haven't done this in so long. Wow, I forgot. That's okay. I screwed it up the other day, too. Seven, two, oh, just talk over me. Yes, seven, I eight, will. Five, seven, two, seven, <laughs> you want me seven, to stop talking? <laughs> eight, five, seven, two, seven, 1939. The Major Spoilers seven, two, seven, 1939. The Major Spoilers. Stop talking over me. Hotline. <laughs> Also want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Tweaked Audio at tweakedaudio.com. 
Four different styles, six different colors, really great sound. Have you used the microphone yet, Rodrigo, on yours? Uh, I haven't gotten around to it. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not good at product testing. Engineered for durability, noise-reducing design. If you head over to tweakedaudio.com and buy one of these uh, headsets, headphones, when you check out, if you use the code MAJOR, you'll Mm -hmm. get 30% off your order. You know that what? easy, thirty percent. You know what I liked about the tweaked audio headphones? What's they that? they have the they do have that kind of noise reduction thing going, mm-hmm. which I like because I like I like like cutting out the the AC mm-hmm. in my house, which I have to have on because it's super hot here right, right. now. Um, but wearing big noise canceling headphones is uncomfortable for me because my ears are shaped weird. Mm. They're like shaped like elf feet. Elf so, feet. Yes. Okay. So, um, the toes are interesting. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and I, I can wiggle them too. It's, it's freakish, but yeah, having those that earbuds that actually cut out uh, some of the noise uh, is actually really, really nice. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Tweaked audio, tweaked this week. Uh, instead of reviewing something from dark horse, we would thought we would review something from Arcana publishing and, Arcana uh, or Archaea? uh, whatever. This is Arcana. Okay. Yeah, Archaea is the uh, C-H-A-I. This one is C-A-N-A. Right. Oh, hence the name. They're different because of the spelling. Exactly. But they're both (laughs) powerful figures on a Scrabble board. If you can get the triple word score, yes. Uh, Champions of the Wild Weird West by Mike Nelson and uh, Eric Hendricks with art by George Kabatikaius, Kablamicus, Kambatius. (laughs) Kambatikus. Kambatius. Cambaticus, he's one of the Cambadius, Cambadius, Cambadius. Okay, sorry, we were messing up your name, but that's okay. I would say Cambaday, Cambadays. So imagine, Cambaday. imagine if you are someone sitting on a podcast and postulating one time, many, many years ago. Mm. You know what would be hang awesome? On, Steve, hang on, I got to be right back. Hang on. <laughs> postulating that what if we mashed up. A kung fu movie, mm-hmm. a western movie, mm-hmm. and a zombie movie. Mm-hmm. And I postulated that you know you'd have this uh, this strong cowboy type kind of coming into town and doing things, and then he has this uh, friend or this companion, or maybe he meets some some uh, guy from Japan or China that's come here to uh, find his girlfriend or his true love or something. That somehow they they pair up together and they wind up in this town, and then there's this uh, uh, Indian chief that somehow curses the town because they've been driven out of out of their land and then the zombies rise up and we've got a zombie kung fu western mm. now flash forward to next month november i think is when when this book comes out mm-hmm. uh and it's almost got all of that yeah in it and it uh, is kind of freaky so uh in this book uh champions of the weird wild west you have to realize that in this universe Magic is real. Mm-hmm. Vampires are real. Werewolves are real. Um, mystical spirits are real. And it's all right now at this time period, shortly after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And um, we are introduced to uh, a fellow from Japan who is in America trying to find his beloved, the woman that he's in love with. And as you might expect in a uh, in a uh, kung fu type television series, he's walking the land and not taking any guff off of anybody. Mm. Um, 
because he's trying to find his true love. At the same time, we get introduced to um, the other main protagonist in this story, although it is Jack. Yeah, Jack, not the Lego maniac, but uh, he's a he's also a, he's a cowboy, and he's also got somebody that is his true love, mm-hmm. and she just happens to be coming in on the afternoon train. Except the afternoon train has been attacked by brigands, rogues, robbers, highwaymen. And everyone on the train is killed, including his beloved. No. But there's a twist, Rodrigo. <gasps> and Matthew, if Matthew's still there, he may not be. He may actually have said he had to legitimately run off and do I, something. I think he did. Oh, okay. Well, maybe he'll jump back in here in just a <laughs> second. Um, there's a twist, Rodrigo. And what uh-huh. is the big twist? The big twist is that they blow up the train. The train has some zombifying agent in it. So all of the people that die in the train crash turn to zombies. And as we come to find out, there's the connection between um, the Japanese girl that the uh, one hero, the swordsman, is after mm-hmm. and the zombies in right. that her father mm-hmm. uh, helped refine this formula to animate the dead and, and not make them mindless zombies. Right. Uh, although it is pointed out that the mindless zombies are good for working in the fields because uh, they, they don't, can, eat, they don't eat, they don't sleep, they don't try to run away. You didn't, doesn't cost you anything. Mm-hmm. And as of right now, there are no zombie rights. Right. And so what they're trying to do is make intelligent zombies to what we can assume is to have an army mm-hmm. of the undead. And so these two stories kind of mash together. And this is kind of where it got weird. I mean, uh, up until the point where the train crashes and the, or the train's attacked and the zombie juice gets out. It reads just like a straight Western. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it kind of goes a little weird. Yeah. Because all of a sudden it becomes very mystical. And we find out that Jack, Jack Bonham, is an adventurer and a practitioner of the occult. He is, I mean, this book kind of reads like Buckaroo Banzai in the Old West with mm-hmm. uh, uh, magic instead of science. Yeah. And I, I, found, that, uh, I found that rather interesting. He and his uh, champions of the wild, weird west. Right. We've got a, he's got a he's got a whole posse of people that help him out whenever he needs it. Yeah. He's got uh, the civilized savage Ulysses, who was a born Native American, mm-hmm. but who I guess was raised by the white man and is civilized. Right. He's got uh, the preacher, who, when it comes to vampire fighting or zombie fighting, has got his little flasks of holy water, mm-hmm. and splashes them out on people. Uh, the rebel who's a, a, a rebel soldier right. who is trying to come to grips with everything. And then we get introduced to a couple of other characters in the piece, and we'll talk about those guys here in uh, just a few minutes. Now, did we ever figure out if this was like the second volume no, of this, this is, story? No, this is the first volume. Okay. So, uh, you know, in addition, Rodrigo, to uh, these main characters, which make up the, the champions, mm-hmm. um, there are some other characters, or at least a, a, a character that I found kind of interesting in a weird sort of way, and maybe Matthew weigh, weigh in on this. The gray gun. Yeah. What about I like him? That. Why, why do you like him? Well, I, I'm used to reading Westerns uh, originally as comic book stories. And the gray gun kind of took me back to, you know, the haunted horseman and the ghost rider and all of those, those mystical type guys like El Diablo from mm-hmm. DC. Mm-hmm. But I think that the, the, the mystic gunslinger thing is pretty awesome. I think that having that guy who's like, ooh, I may be a cowboy, but I'm also a magician, sort of. You know, I kind of like that. And I really like the way this character was played 
very sneaky, perhaps too sneaky. Mm -hmm. Because I got confused in this issue. Oh, you remember yeah? The guy, you? <laughs> you remember the guy who was the, the gunslinger with the mystic powers and he's like, and he had the big puffy hair? Yeah. There was a point in the issue where I thought he was the gray gun oh. out mm-hmm. of costume because he talked about we meet the gray gun and then we have the big thing and then we meet this character and he talks about how he learned his mystical trade and how he learned to, you know, use magic to fire guns. My brain is like, okay, I thought that was the gray gun out of costume until they both appeared at a key point in the narrative. Okay. Um, then, of course, we get introduced to uh, Polly, who's a uh, Native American. Mm-hmm. Who, She's an uh, Arapaho. Yep. Arapaho. And, well, I just love how they, he's a J-Panese. Yeah. Uh, throughout <laughs> the... from J-Pan. Yeah. Um, you know, the... There are some there are some interesting characters. There's also an antagonist who is kind of working a, a high magician, a mage or witch or w- wizard, however you want to claim him. Uh, that is actually trying to bring about the uh, zombie apocalypse uh, for his master. Um, and he is uh, he almost when I when I when he was introduced, I, I kind of thought preacher, you know, the from uh, the Vertigo comic, mm-hmm. but in an opposite mm-hmm. kind of way. Instead of the regular preacher costume, he's wearing the white. Uh, costume and just doing evil things instead of trying to do things. Instead of being good. a preacher, he's a ray cure. Yeah, everybody, you know, the stories kind of mash together. The two, uh, the 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 Japanese uh, girlfriend and the uh, revenge against the uh, people that killed his his mm. fiance uh, come together, and then they end up in St. Louis where there's a big fighty fighty, and then um, a golem is walking about and punchy punchy, and then uh, somebody has to make an ultimate sacrifice, and the story kind of ends. Which kind of brings us to, Rodrigo, now let's talk about the stuff that you didn't like. And I think that there are some things that you didn't like that I also didn't like. I'll say this as we start into this. The premise of this story mm-hmm. is wonderful. Yeah. Oh, that's a great From idea. my opinion. The characters, and especially when you read their description at the back of the book, are mm-hmm. wonderful. Mm-hmm. Except... Except that you have to read their descriptions in the back of the in book. In the back of the yeah, book. Yeah. Who the hell are these people? I, I didn't. Well, yeah. Yeah. So Rodrigo had asked me like a couple of days ago. He says, this is like the second volume or what? And this is no, this is it. This is the first volume. This is mm-hmm. original, original graphic novel. And I don't know. We've talked about being dropped in the middle of a story and just expecting to know these people. And I had mentioned kind of earlier about how these are kind of the Buckaroo Bonsai, the Bonsai Institute and the, mm-hmm. and the Hong Kong Cavaliers of the Old West. And you don't know who uh, Pretty Tommy is or any of these people in Buckaroo Banzai story. You just accept it. And that's kind of the way – perfect, Tommy. I'm sorry. Um, it, you just kind of accept it here, even though I didn't even know one of the guys, the, the uh, Ulysses, was an Indian until the end when he's until like, I never, knew my, like, I never knew my kind. Right. Yeah. I never thought I'd see Ulysses wearing feathers. I'm like, wait, who's Ulysses and why is yeah. it remarkable that he's an Indian? Yep, I mean, stuff like that. I mean, I honestly, we get introduced to Jack and we get introduced to uh, the swordsman, whose name I just totally The swordsman, that. that's uh, all they, they just call him. Oh, he never swordsman. gives his name. Um, oh, Taro, uh, yeah. Taro, Taro that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, Taro. And, and the first time that we see him and his Hong Kong Cavaliers, they're at a train station. And I thought that those guys were just extras yeah, yeah, yeah. talking to him at the train station. And then later on, they show up again. And I'm like, oh, these are characters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that going on. There are characters that get a treatment. So mm-hmm. Jack, 
you learn about him. Um, you don't really learn everything about him. Well, no, but you learn a little bit. You learn, you learn like the the amount of time spent on him. Yeah, leads quite you to be like, right. okay, this is an important character. Mm-hmm. Um, the swordsman, the gray gun, the Indian girl, and the death slinger bad guy. Yeah, yeah, they all get some amount of treatment, but right. there's a lot more characters that are kind of like interacting back and forth mm-hmm. with each other mm-hmm. and, you know, talking about the, the, the Kansas city job and things like mm-hmm. that. And it, mm-hmm. rather than coming across as, Oh, these characters have a history to me, it came across as I should know what is happening already. Right, right, right. Like there is very little talk about the, the, the setting of this world. Right, until it's thrown upon you. Until it's thrown on you, and then you kind of see characters not reacting as crazily as they would normally, and then and then later on you figure out that the main character can do magic stuff. Yeah, because, see, it's really I, weird. Yeah. Like I said, it starts out as your, uh, as your mashup of East meets West. Mm-hmm. Then you throw in the zombies, and you're like, all right, Kung Fu Zombie Western, Steven yes. Rules! And then, all of a sudden, they're talking about the... Um, um, the bad guy and how he uh, gave two silver coins to travel across the Mississippi, Mississippi River, River, you know, in, in the, the essentially the river sticks to go and battle demons on the other side. It's like, what? It's in that second yeah. chapter that suddenly the entire universe gets flipped on its ear to where yeah. this is very mundane type stuff, even though a lot of people are still suspicious I, and weary and, and wary and, and don't really know much about it. I think there are some things that, it, it it may be you know our our western uh well i won't say unfamiliarity but our lack of uh, heavy duty western cuz the characters that i didn't have you know a feel for at the beginning are kind of western stock characters holling the uh the rebel yeah, yeah. soldier who mm-hmm. still runs around in his grays and, mm-hmm. and the the drunken uh preacher mm-hmm. now here's the thing when i started reading this I'm I'm looking at the character and the way he's drawn with his whiskers, and I'm like, is is he supposed to be a Hasidic rabbi? <laughs> and then he started throwing holy water, and I'm like, nope, nope. Yeah. And then of course the thing with Ulysses is I don't think Ulysses really does anything before the moment where he talks about his people. Right. No, I can't he doesn't. Recall, he's just I a character him doing fighting. He's just a character yeah, fighting. He's just in the background doing things. Here, sort of. Here's kind of my take on as an overall kind of of take on this. As I said, it's a great premise. It is, there are some great characters. This feels like, and I don't mean to make this sound really bad, but this feels like a first draft. Mm -hmm. This feels like I've been given a look book of what this universe is about because the storytelling is very choppy where we're just jumping back and forth between all of these like, uh, uh, powerful scenes that are coming out, but we're not given those in between parts that connect these scenes together which I think is really valuable. And so the whole storyline just seems very choppy. First we're here, now we're here, now we're here, and boom, oh, ah, pow, pow, zombies, kill my father, ah, the end. And that's kind of how this book read. If this were to be reworked, redeveloped, mm-hmm. tell us the story of how these guys met or the Kansas City job or whatever. Right. You know, when- or, or don't, but spend some time talking about why uh, Matt Damon's character is here and yeah. why, you know, Brad Pitt's character is here. Right. Give uh, this really needs some fleshed out. This mm-hmm. needs to be a fleshed out book, and I think that there's a lot of potential if they ever decided to go back and tell a second story. Yeah, but yes. the problem, you know, the other problem is, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
Grey Ghost is, or the Grey Gun is dead at the end of this, which seems like an awful waste of the character so. because there is a scene where they're fighting, and no, no, he comes back. Uh, does he come yeah. back? Because all of a sudden you see yeah, at, at him the, fire the gun, and you yeah. see the the Grey he blows cowl, up, and then that's it. Okay. Yeah, but later on he comes back at the ver- like during the epilogue. There's a page of him yeah. like walking around the Shadowlands or something like Maybe that. Maybe he's gone beyond death. Right. The only thing we know for certain is there's a long road to travel, and we see the the gray gun oh, walking yeah, yeah. through. You know, yeah, walking through. I'm pretty the... sure he's still alive somewhere. Okay, because uh, yeah. uh, it just seemed like when I got to but, that point, I was like, "What a terrible waste of a character." We get very little character development, and then he comes in at the the big battle, and then gets blown up. And the next time we see him, he's walking through, as you said, the ghost lands with the big reveal that the re- main reason why they were trying to do, uh, raise these zombies is to have the South rise again, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. With the uh, I'm assuming is the Confederate president. Uh, being possessed yeah, by the devil. To be. So uh, not not the devil, a devil. Yes, big D, little D. Um, what other problems D. did you have? Well, I mean, you know, the pacing of it is really choppy, like yeah, you yeah. said. So it's like the Jack's fiance dies in the middle of this. He buries her, and then kind of every once in a while talks about how he's mad that she died, but it's like. His fiance just died, you know, like there's very little treatment of it. You know, Jack is kind of like he's good at everything and he just kind of rolls with it the whole time. And I'm just like, you know, like, who is this character? What's this character about? And I, I, you know, the, 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 your big blonde cowboy is just kind of this collection of cool things. Mm hmm. And has very little character to him, it so, seems to me. So I, I hear your biggest problem is the character development. Yeah. I My mean, biggest yeah, problem is the, the choppiness of the story. Mm-hmm. Matthew, what, a, do you, what is your big concern or problem that you have with this book? My problem is that like so many excited writers, there's so much that they want to get on the page and so much that never quite makes it onto the page to the point where... Part of it feels like it's just kind of a, and did I tell you this? And did I tell you this? Mm. I like the story. I like the breakdown of it, but it seems like every single page is something new. You know, we start with Akira Kurosawa uh, walking the plains, and then we get into this whole, you know, bit where it's like East meets West and the Samurai Jack, and then all of a sudden the magic and the zombies and the glaive, and there's so much to the point where the, the moment where, you know, Ulysses says, I never knew my real people. That's kind of emblematic of a little bit of the storytelling. They're so excited to get the stuff out that I feel like they may have put too much in this first, you know, five chapters. They may have put so much in trying to get so much on the page and so much of their cool concept out that they may have overloaded this particular story. Um, Artistically, I thought it was pretty cool. It reminded me of... uh, uh, powers, Michael Aiming or Oming, however one pronounces mm-hmm. yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, and, I didn't mind the art. I thought the art was uh, was actually not bad. Yeah, it had a good style to yeah. it. I mean, it was yeah. it, it worked in a lot of different ways. As you said, there may be some character confusion between the Grey Gun and one of the bad guys, or maybe that one guy is actually an Indian. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. but I mean, honestly, like a couple sentences would have fixed that. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I hate to keep harping on this, but you know, if if I was the editor, uh, like if I was editing, if somebody handed me and said, what do you think? I would say, take out the gray gun. Do not even include him. Bring him in. Like, clearly you mean to write more of these characters. 
Just bring him in later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no reason to give him any treatment on this. All he does is show up and say, look how cool I am, and then disappear, right? Yeah, here's- Take that out yep. and spend that time that you were going to do talking to the rebel and Ulysses. And this can be kind of a bigger problem, I think, but uh, I get the feeling with a lot of these smaller publishers mm-hmm. that you've got this one chance, yeah. right? Rodrigo, you have this one chance of having this graphic novel. You've got a pretty good premise. Uh, great premise, I think. Uh, you've got some good art. Hmm. You've got this one chance. Maybe you're not going to have a second chance. Maybe there is nothing beyond this. Maybe there is. Maybe they signed a three graphic novel deal. I don't know. But I have a feeling that when you as a creator are given this one chance to impress us, mm-hmm. to get really high sales, you know, it's this or nothing. That's that's where you get into these problems, Matthew and Rodrigo, where we're trying to jam so much into this yeah. confined amount of space. Mm-hmm. We maybe don't listen to our editors, or maybe the, maybe or this maybe is what the, the editor maybe said. Are, maybe there are no editors. Maybe I there mean, isn't. Um, I, I, how involved do you think Arcana is in this stuff? They're probably like they probably take the pitch. This was edited they probably, by. They might read the manuscript, and if it's good enough, they might just move forward. Edited by Amanda Hendricks, mm-hmm. who I'm going to guess is somehow related to the writer and creator Eric Hendricks. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Um, but I think you, when you get that one chance and you try oh so hard to yeah. impress everyone with your one great impression that you do kind of overdo it. Mm-hmm. And you let, you're looking at the big picture and not the little bits that keep falling out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's yeah. happened here is character yeah. development, plot pacing, um, story choppiness all kind of fell apart as we tried to give you this big universe in 112 pages. And... Yeah. and- and you've got this when one chance. Doing- if there, unfortunately, I don't think this book is going to sell enough. Maybe it will. Uh, I don't think it's going to sell enough to where they'll say, you know what? Let's go back and, and revisit this world again. If it is great, I'd like to see them refine and develop. But I think that this was that one chance with this universe. And that, you know, that does make the question. It, it begs the question of if you have only one shot, one opportunity to lose yourself in the music the moment you want it. Do you, I mean, did this, did these creators actually have an, an obligation to get as much on the page as they could? No, they didn't, but they wanted, they wanted to make this as no, I, I can't say this is what they wanted to do. I feel like this is what m- they wanted to do. They wanted to make it as big and impressive as possible so that you would say, I want more of this. Right. And yeah. that way they would get that, gig number two yeah i mean there are very few ideas in this book where i would be like that's a bad idea right like everything about it is really good everything everything that they bring up is really good like you know you read the back of the of of the book descriptions on the character and it's like yeah i'd like to find out more about that guy yeah yeah. but again there was I, i think you're right i think you know maybe you get one shot and you want to put it all in there or you know uh we like as a as a um as as an expanded uh, confederacy of fandoms mm-hmm. you know comics sci-fi all that stuff um fantasy etc you know people have really started to really praise that that seeding technique that writers do a lot of the time mm-hmm. they put stuff in the first chapter and then in the second chapter, you don't hear about it, but ho-ho, in the third chapter, right, there right, it is. And it's right. so good, you know, because if you remember stuff from the first chapter, you're like, oh, that's cool. You know, I found that out. It could be that this is just a, a, a very 
you know, I mean, I, I don't mean any any real offense by this, but kind of a heavy handed way of doing that, mm-hmm. of saying, here are all the players that are going to be important later. Right. And they're all in here. Mm-hmm. But in doing that, you sacrifice, you know, the big sell of the book. You sacrifice the story. You sacrifice mm-hmm. that thing that actually makes those guys interesting. And again, we are speculating on the motives of the writers mm-hmm. and the oh, creators and the publisher. Yeah. And, and so if you are Michael David Nelson or Eric Hendricks or George Kablamicus or Arcana and you want to address some of these things, please let us know. I'd be more than happy yeah. to talk with you and give you a, a place where we can talk with you and, and share some of these ideas in the comments. My other fear beyond just this is my one chance to make a big impression is mm-hmm. that this is my one chance to make this a movie pitch. Yeah. Because this, again, as I said, feels like a lookbook. Here are all your big action sequences that are going to happen in this movie and Cowboy Zombie Western. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if this were being played as a movie pitch, oddly, I think I'd be okay with it simply because the things that we're playing with here, there are a lot of interesting ideas. And the execution comes across as sometimes – uh, here's an idea that I really had that I liked, and here's another idea, and I don't have time to flesh out the first one, so we'll go, look at that cool idea. There are some really great set pieces in here. The bit, and this this kind of caught me yeah. by surprise, the bit where Jack is sitting and playing poker mm-hmm. with the death dealer. Yeah, yeah, and they're doing the tarot thing. And then he pulls thing. off his hat, and he's yeah. like, it's really me, Jack. I'm like, whoa. I was I was surprised That's a great bit. it's really me, Jack. Yeah. It was a great bit, and, the- and it played really well. The lady with the uh, thing over her face, the veil over her face, is one of Jack's yep. operatives. Is kind of cool. I mean, yeah. there was. I uh, mean, th- like I said, there is a great premise. There are some great bits in this book. It just as a whole doesn't doesn't work for me. Now, is it just me, or did Holling show up with an army of undead? Uh, he Union did, or Confederates. He old- did. Where did that what, come from? Well, see, that was one of those off-panel things where. In between the farmhouse and back in St. Louis proper, he went off and raised an army of the dead and uh, came to help See, do battle. I that was something where I felt like the story kind of got short sheeted. It was it was great to have that. Yeah, da da. Oh, yeah, look, yeah. it's the battle of uh, of Feldor's Keep or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, that was cool to me. And you know, it, there was so much neat stuff that they wanted to do. That I feel like, you know, some of the characters specifically got got shuffled back. But the fact that I get to the end, right, and they're talking about the characters. It's like his name is New York Jack. And I'm like, did anybody ever call him? No, New York they didn't. No, nope. no, they nope. didn't. That's, that's why I think it's, that's why it's so important that you have to read that that back matter material. Yeah, because that tells and you more about what's going on. That, that should have put it up at the very first part of the book. Not yeah, that first scene where you see him and he stalks in and his spurs are jingling. Somebody should have looked up and gone, New York Jack, we thought you was dead. Yeah. That would be great. And, you know, the, the just the one little line where it's like, this is Ulysses. Is he an Indian? Don't ask. It's a long story. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the moments that were there that were subtle, like where we first meet Gareth, the preacher, he's sitting there and they're like, are you three sheets to the wind? He's like, only two. I like that bit, Mm -hmm. but it tells me he's a drunk. It doesn't tell me he's also a former preacher and he's having, you know, it wasn't until he pulled out the holy water that I knew he was a preacher. And, and, And you know, and again, that could have been a thing, could have been a thing where the book is, oh, here's this drunkard. And then he like reaches over and puts on his preacher hat and like adjusts his collar Mm -hmm. and is like, oh, ho, ho, this drunk is a preacher. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the thought of a preacher. 
you know, somebody preaching out of out of an old King James Bible in a world where aliens and 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 zombies and and monsters and and gods of other religions are floating around. That that in itself fascinating premise. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you know this this guy's a rebel who never really gave up and the south will rise again literally. That's a great premise. There's so much cool stuff here that I feel like trying to Trying to put it all together in one big story makes all the cool stuff kind of turn into, you know, the Justice League of Deadwood. Mm-hmm, it yeah. undermines the reality of their, you know, their Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Polly's moment with with uh, the her spirits father. of her forefathers, yeah. her literal father, that's a great moment. It is. I mean, uh, so this was a re- released as a five-issue miniseries, I guess, and then collected in this volume, which again comes out in November. Um, I was trying to look and see if this was all ages. I didn't see anything that said what the age range was on this. Awful lot of decapitations for my yeah, zombie zombie decapitation. So, you know, as, as Disney would tell you when you're killing all these Martians, it's not red blood. It's just, you know, fake alien blood. A, a guy definitely holds the charred body <laughs> yes, of his, of his uh, fiance. Of his fiance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So probably not all ages. Maybe, maybe. It does, that's what I was going to say. It doesn't either. look like all, it doesn't look like all ages, but let's get down to our bottom line. Rodrigo. Uh, there are a lot of good ideas here. Each of these volumes could have probably been expanded to, or each of these issues could have probably been expanded to its own volume. There's a lot going on here. There's really too much going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say, if you want to flip through it and look at some cool ideas for your next uh, Deadlands campaign, definitely pick <laughs> it up. Um, otherwise, I would say pass. I mean, the art is o- the art is okay, but it's not it's not my cup of tea either. I really liked the idea of this story. I really like the characters that appear in this story. I really like, I like the art. I mean, it's not, I mean, it's not, uh, you know, it's not in the top of, it's not going to fall into my top 10 of great art, uh, but it is art and it's, it's enjoyable. Um, Man, there's so much to like in here, but the execution just doesn't work for me. This is not a buy. This is not a skip, but it's a definite go down to your library and ask them to buy copies if they don't. And there are, you know, libraries will go out and buy these these uh, trades if you ask them to, um, or usually they will. This is a volume your library should buy so that a lot of people can check out and enjoy and then ask. I, I want to see more of this universe, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I really do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is coming from someone who, as I said uh, earlier in the show, at one point in my life hated Westerns. This is a Western I, I can dig on. Mm-hmm. Matthew? I would say um, th- that this is definitely a check it out for me. I would say that as a Legion of Superheroes reader, I will tell you how you could fix this book with seven captions. So at the beginning, oh, yeah, yeah, where yeah. you sitting, yeah. Taro's sitting at the you bar, a, and you see Taro's at the bar, and, and you, ju- you put a little thing right in front of him that says, Taro Hashimoto. Swordsman lost in the West. And then Jack walks in and you put in a little caption that says, New York Jack, mystery. You know, and you do that to where you just give us that little thumbnail before they're into action. I, I can yes, see that. It, New York Jack, it, it, rating, awesome. Yeah. Exactly. You, uh, you do that thing where it's, you know, it's like an Ocean's Eleven story. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, would, would, you know, make some changes. I am a huge fan of books that have so much more potential than the execution I love parts of this story and the bits of this story that work work so well 
that I can kind of overlook the parts where I'm like, where yeah. in the heck did that army come from? You know, Polly chopping her, her father in the forehead and Jack leading them through the cave and saying, all caves are the same cave if you know where to look. And then it goes dark and everybody screams and then they're in another cave and he's like, everybody all right? What was that? That's a beautiful scene. Yeah, you know, yeah. There are a lot of beautiful scenes in this. And then there are moments where it's just like, I want to get to that next beautiful scene that I love. So now Hollis has an army of zombie Confederates. Just roll with it. Yeah. You know, so uh, definitely a check it out. This is a fun book. I like the art style. I like parts of it a lot more than others. And I wish I knew more about the supporting cast. Mm-hmm. Just a moment where, you know, Ulysses has a little conversation with the drunk preacher. Other than talking about how awesome New York Jack is, mm-hmm. <laughs> that I think that would be that would be something where it's like take that supporting cast, flesh them out, explain to me three pieces of plot. This book would be a must read. Yeah. All right, everybody. That is uh, our thoughts and views on Champions of the Wild Weird West from Arcana. Uh, next week, uh, thank you for tuning in, downloading, whatever you're doing, however you're listening to this show. Um, Yes, tune tune loading. That's what we're going to call it. Tune loading. Um, My mom said that if you tune load, you might never mind. Yay! There's nothing wrong with that. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at Monstrosis from SLG Publishing. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we don't cover enough Dark Horse comics on this show. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat the X-ray vision of a Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well, I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus, as soon as the comic book store got new To kick my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little me would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm Stark Raven, it's like a man of iron. I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 whoa. what a major spoiler. Major Spoilers is copyright 2012.